We are beginning a new series today, okay? This Sunday begins a series we're calling Summer Psalms. Guess how long it's going to last? Last. That's right, the whole summer. There's a lot of psalms. We're not even going to be covering very many at all, but enough that I hope is just such a rich blessing to you. The psalms are amazing, amazing. I want to encourage you to make reading a portion or a psalm a day a habit. I think that would be, that is a, a fantastic habit to have. One of the reasons why psalms are so amazing is because they're just jam-packed with the attributes and the greatness of God. When we read the Psalms, we learn about God. We learn how great he is because so much of the Psalms are giving glory to him and praising him. We learn a lot about how he forgives and how he loves. So the beauty of studying the Psalms and reading the Psalms is I think it really enhances our own personal worship. You know, corporate worship is great. It's wonderful that we get together on Sunday mornings and together collectively worship God. We need to do that. God exhorts us to do that. But there's also personal worship. Personal worship. And one of the things I want to encourage you to do, if you don't, is to carve out a little bit of time, if at all possible, even each day. Whether it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, half hour, whatever it might be. And spend that time in worshiping the Lord. Spend that time in looking into his word. Maybe if you love to sing, sing. Maybe if you love to stick on some of your favorite worship songs. Make that part of your personal worship to him. There are a few things that lift our sight and lift our emotion more to the Lord than personal worship. So I want to encourage you to do that. So the Psalms not only help us understand who God is, they give us a pattern for personal worship. And that's such a blessing. And so today we're going to be beginning this series in Psalm 37. So if you have your Bible, you want to turn there with me, please. Now, I'm not going to take time to go through all Psalm 37 because it's a pretty long psalm. And we don't really have time to do that. But what I'm going to do is I want to focus on the first seven verses of Psalm 37, okay? But I think it's important for me to tell you what the chapter's about because context is king, right? Don't we keep saying that around here? And that's very, very, very true. The book of Psalms is very much, by the way, it's written by David. The, the Psalm 37, I should say, is very much about not looking at non-believers or people around you with envy and a covetous heart. What David is addressing here in Psalm 37 to the nation of Israel is they had this tendency to look at all of the other nations, all of the other pagan nations, and in some cases follow after their gods. That's called idolatry because they believe that maybe their gods would make them more prosperous than Jehovah God. And that's one of the things that got the nation of Israel into so much trouble over and over again. So what David wants to address in Psalm 37 is not to be envious, not to be covetous, not to live in deep discontentment about your life situation, whether it's what you have materially, health, whatever it might be. 
And so the beauty of this psalm, and I think the first seven verses really capture a lot of the essence of this psalm, is to see where our minds should dwell about our lives. To understand the sufficiency of our relationship with God and to see from him what ultimately really matters in this life to give us incredible joy and contentment. So Psalm 37, I'm going to pick up in verse 1 as I begin reading. The words will also be up on the screen. David writes this. By the way, David wrote this at the, near the very end of his life. I wanted to share that with you. David became king when he was 30 years old. He ruled Israel for 40 years. So most think it was shortly after 70 or so that he passed away, that he went to be with the Lord. And sometimes when people write or when people talk near the end of a long life, they have pretty good perspective. They have a lot of wisdom to share with us. And I think that is absolutely true with David in this psalm. He says, verse 1, do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Now, as I looked at these seven verses, one of the verses popped out to me, really jumped out. And it's not because it's a verse that a lot of people, a lot of us have memorized. It's because I think it's the, the key, the secret to what God's calling us to be. Verse four is that verse. It says, take delight in the Lord. Some verses say, delight yourself in the Lord. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The word delight here, the the Hebrew word actually means extreme satisfaction. Isn't that interesting? It's a very intense word, extreme satisfaction. So what David is saying is take extreme satisfaction in the Lord. Let me, give you a, let me give you an important thought if you're a, a note taker. You might want to jot this down. Our delight dictates our desires. What we value most, what we treasure most will feed our desires, will feed our affections. You know, Jesus agreed with that. <laughs> no surprise. Jesus said it a little differently over in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Listen to this. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. (laughs) Very similar. Very similar concept where your treasure, your delight, over in Psalm 37, 4. 
where that delight, that thing you value the most, your affections, your desires will follow, your heart, as it says here. And what are we to delight in? The Lord. Our relationship with the Lord, who he is. Now, as I thought a lot about this and began to ponder, how do I delight in the Lord? What, what are ways that I try to do that? What are ways that others try to do that? Here's where my mind went. I think one of the main ways that I delight in the Lord is by really pondering his attributes, his greatness, the qualities of who God is. And that is all through the Psalms. When I think about his majesty, when I think that he is the creator, when I think that he is the sovereign of the universe, when I think that he is loving, when I think that he wants to have a personal relationship with us, when we think about all of those characteristics and qualities of God, hopefully we delight in him. He is beyond amazing. And so a word that we might use in terms of how do we delight in God when we focus on his attributes and his qualities and his characteristics is the word praise. Praise. Boy, do a word study of the word praise in the Psalms. It is everywhere. Praise him. We shout to him. We glorify him. We sing to him. We praise him. And now my question is, is that our pattern? Is that something we do? And, you know, I think it's great that we do that on Sunday morning collectively. The question is, do we do it personally? Do we praise him? One of the things that uh, hopefully is part of your experience, if not, and we really want to encourage you is to have to carve out some time daily, preferably. To spend time alone with Jesus. Without the racket, with all the, without the frustration, without the interruptions, without everything else that just pulls for our attention. And praise him. Praise him. Thank him. Sometimes I can praise him really well when I flip on a little worship music. <laughs> and I praise him that way. Sometimes I praise him as I just reflect on who he is. There is something so powerful in the way we view the rest of our day when we begin it, which I think is a great time early in the morning, to praise him for who he is. I hope you do that. Praise. When I think about delighting in the Lord, I think about praising him for who he is. But there's another, another really great reason to, to really um, delight in him. And that is thanksgiving, being thankful. Because often what I delight in God about is how he has blessed, how he has blessed my life, how he has blessed my family. You know, we call that thanksgiving. We call that gratitude, right? And so another way we delight in him is just by thanking him, by thanking him. I think there's such a tendency for all of us to feel so entitled, right? Absolutely. That's one of the reasons why we get frustrated and irritated and and upset is because somebody's not doing what we think they should. Certainly what we expected. When you are rooted in thanksgiving, my friends, 
You don't live like an entitled person. You live like a grateful person. And you know, when we go back to who God is, he is the giver of all good things, right? Everything you and I have is because of his grace and his goodness toward us. So for me, two of the, I'll call them the pillars of my delighting in the Lord is praising him for who he is and thanking him for all the ways he has blessed me, all the ways he has blessed my family, all the ways he has just by his grace poured that out to us. Delight in him, praise him, thank him. Make that so much a part of your life, your day. Now, let me give you just a couple practical ways to do that too. And this is, uh, for me, this has been very helpful. Number one is to read and study the word of God. Because <laughs> that's primarily what is our source for knowing him, is the word of God. And the book of Psalms absolutely is. Read and study the word of God. And my friends, the more you and I dig into his word, the more we dwell upon his word, the more we study it, the more he opens up the richness of who he is. Amen? He does that for us. Read and study the word of God. Number two, when we delight in him when we worship through singing and praising him. Many of us love music. Many of us are very deeply moved by music, by singing, by praising. Make that a part of your experience on a regular basis. When we pray with gratitude and thanksgiving for his greatness, for his love, for his provision in our lives. Is that a pattern for you? Is that a regular occurrence for you? Has that become somewhat of a knee jerk when God blesses you to just say, thank you, Lord. Lord, I I praise you for that. Because for a lot of us, we take too much credit for the good things in our lives, don't we? Everything is a gift from him. Just make thankfulness and gratitude your default, (laughs) your knee-jerk in your life. It's amazing what becoming a person of deep gratitude does to your whole perspective on everything. And it's very biblical too. When we experience his incredible creation, which points to his majesty, and it takes our breath away, that can cause us to delight in him. When we look at his creation, I mean, you know what I'm saying? You look upon at the stars on a, a very, very clear night and you're blown away that he breathed out those stars. You go and you stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon and you look at his masterpiece. You look at the mountains. You see one of the most beautiful sunsets you have ever seen in your life. And we're told in the Psalms, the heavens declare what? The glory of God. The heavens declare his glory. Some of us are so deeply moved emotionally by God's creation. I think that's such a blessing. Because they point to him. They point to who he is. He is the master artist, isn't he? He is. And that should cause us to praise him. And then here's another one, a fifth one. Seemingly out of nowhere, he pours out his blessing in our lives, and we are just overwhelmed by it. You know, I, I thought, 
I do a little bit of, I write some devotionals and I do some things as some of you guys know. And I thought, I got a good title for a devotional sometime. Blindsided by blessing. Blindsided by blessing. You know, so often we use the word blindsided. It's like something horrible happened. We think of getting hit, you know, in an intersection by a car. That's a blindside. But there are times, isn't this true in your life? This is so true in my life. And in many of our lives that sometimes it's almost like God just says, oh, okay. Yeah. It's time to just kind of pour some blessing out on them. Boom. And you maybe haven't intentionally directly been praying about that. You haven't even been thinking much, but God in his beautiful love and care for you just decides to go bless and he blesses us. How can you not praise? How can you not just say, once again, Lord, you have shown me how unbelievably undeserving I am, but you are such a great father. You are such a loving father. Thank you for that blind side of blessing in my life. He does that. That's him. That's not good luck. (laughs) That's him, right? That's him. That's him. He loves to do that to his children and for his children. And he does that in our lives. But you know what? We'll miss it. We'll miss it. If we're not those who praise continually, those who thank constantly him. Because he's the one we delight in. We delight in him. So my dear friends, I just want to encourage you. Make delighting in the Lord a daily experience. It's pretty amazing how it affects the whole way you look at life. It really is. You know, when you read this, um, take delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of his heart. As I pondered that, here's, here's what I came up with. We get the desires of our heart when our heart aligns with his heart. I mean, I know that's maybe basic, but it's just such a great way to remember. He doesn't give me the desires of my selfish, sinful, self-centered heart. After I have lived in delighting in him, my desires line up with his. And you know what he then wants to do? He wants to give me my desires because they're consistent with his. That's how this works. And you know what that makes me think is probably the more I delight in the Lord, the more I'm going to see a lot of more answered prayer in my life because I'm going to ask for the right things, right? I'm going to ask for the things that delight him and are consistent with his desires for me. It makes your prayer life so much more powerful. It does. What a great thought. You know, as I was thinking about this, what came to my mind was somebody in the Old Testament who knew how to delight in the Lord, at least in this occasion. His name is David, the one who wrote this psalm, by the way. Second Samuel chapter six, verses thirteen to sixteen. This is this is amazing. Some of you know this. I got to give you the context real quickly. David had just recently been coronated king of all of Israel. 
And one of the first things he does is he makes Jerusalem the new capital city of Israel, the new great city of of Israel. He then finds the Ark of the Covenant, and they begin to parade the Ark of the Covenant into the city of Jerusalem. That's the setting. And here's what we read, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 13. When those who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the Ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the Ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, parentheses, David's wife, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. (laughs) Quite a contrast, huh? Queen Michael was a delighter in the Lord crusher, right? That's what she was. And there are people like that, you know? You're just a little too much about the Lord, you know? You're just a little too intense about, you know, what you believe. David was, quote, shameless. And you know what? As that passage goes on, David is the one who was commended. What David did was entirely appropriate. Michael wasn't. Delight in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. So, again, I I think what I really wanted to share out of verse 4 before we look at the other verses is this idea of we delight in the Lord by praising and thanking him. And as we do that, we align our hearts, our desires with his. And that's why he gives us the desires of our hearts. That's awesome. Now, the verses around verse 4, verses 1 through 3, and then verses 5, 6, and 7, give us some, some really helpful insight in how delighting in the Lord can affect the way we live out our lives, especially when life is difficult, especially when things are really hard. And so we're going to go back to verse 1, and I'll have several, I don't know, I could call them tools or ways of making sure that we understand the solution is delighting in him. Okay? So look with with me again at verses 1 and 2, back in Psalm 37. David writes, Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. It's interesting that the, the word fret here, the Hebrew word, actually is the idea of being irritated or being angry. That's, that's kind of what the word means. So it kind of gives us a sense that um, when you see people who aren't as, quote, godly as you or aren't as moral as you, seemingly be, being blessed more than you, there's a tendency to get angry. There's a tendency to want to say that's not fair. There's a tendency to think that things are just very, very unjust. That's when we need to delight in the Lord, my friends. 
when we feel that jealousy welling up in us, when we feel that envy welling up in us, when we feel that poor me welling up within us, we need to go back to him. We need to delight, delight in him. We need to praise him. We need to thank him. Is that where we go? Sadly, not always. You know, when we live with envy and jealousy and feeling uh, so unjustly treated, when we have been betrayed and profoundly hurt, and that's the experience of, if not all of us, at least most of us, what do we do with that? You know, that's, that's one of the big themes in Scripture. What do we do with that? Do we forgive? Do we entrust it to the Lord? Or do we let it eat us alive? It is so tragic. I've said this before and I'll say it again. I have dear friends who have gone through a very painful time, and we certainly would acknowledge a painful time of betrayal, a a painful time of being deeply wounded. And it continues to have such a detrimental impact on their lives. It's just very sad. Emotionally, sometimes even physically, virtually always relationally. Have you been around? Do you maybe even live with a very bitter person? It's so sad. And it kind of affects everything around them. And some of those people I've heard say, and you you just want to say, and I would say, don't say that. It's like, I'll never forgive her. I will never forgive her. It's like, my brother, she has power over your life and you will continue to suffer. And so what the Lord so much wants us to do, my friends, is to give it up, (laughs) to release it, to forgive. Maybe that's what he wants to say to you this morning, my dear brother, my dear sister in Christ. When we delight in the Lord, he really helps us. And this is what he says to us, don't fret or don't be angry, don't fret, but persist in doing what's right. Persist in the things that I've called you to be. Verse three goes on to talk more about um, how he's called us to live and how delighting in the Lord is so incredibly helpful. He says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. I love David's image and his choice of words, especially when he says safe pasture. Safe pasture. Now, David had a couple of vocations. At this time, he was king of Israel. Prior prior to that, he had a, uh, a job on Saul's court. And prior to that, he was a shepherd. He was a shepherd. Think he knew about safe pastures? Absolutely. Part of the job of a shepherd is to lead your flock to safe pastures where they're not going to be attacked 
pasture that had plenty of, of grass for them to graze, pasture that had shade on an incredibly hot, scorching day. David knew about being a shepherd. David was the one who wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. So here's my question as I think about this idea of a safe pasture. Do you have a safe pasture in your life? (laughs) Do you have a place where you go? It could be a den, it could be a study, it could be a patio, it could be somewhere else that is quiet, safe, no interruptions. Maybe safe pasture is turn your phone off. And just enjoy the greatness of our shepherd. Praise him. Pray to him. Open his word. That's a safe pasture. (laughs) Sheep need it. Sheep need safe pastures. And so that's what I just want to encourage you. You know, I, I think what I hear maybe as much from people as anything I hear from people is how busy and freaked out. I'm so busy and freaked out. I'm so busy and busy and busy and, you know, and it's like, I do get it. I do understand that. I think that's the propensity of the American lifestyle for sure. But where's your safe pasture? Where there is quiet, where there is calm, where there is peace, where there's the ability to just talk to Jesus and praise him. That is the context for delighting in him. My safe pasture is where I most delight in him. And so I want to encourage you, my dear ones, to, to think of that as well. And um, I think the real admonition here is don't fear, just trust. Trust the shepherd. Trust the shepherd. So it goes on. I'm going to pick up in verse 5, and he says this, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. David uses a couple awesome words, terms here. He uses this word, righteous reward. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do it. He will make your righteous reward I'm not sure if that's an earthly reward or an eternal reward, but you know, God rewards. He rewards us in our faithfulness in life. He does. And then also he uses the word, your vindication, like noonday sun, your vindication. I know I already touched on this, but, you know, God's grace and mercy do not cancel out his justice and his judgment. Did you know that? We talk a lot about grace and mercy. That's a good, those are good things to talk about. But God is still just. And God will judge. And I know that, you know, when we are really in a bad place with someone, we forget that Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, the Lord said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. He's just. It's not my job to inflict vengeance. 
it's his, in his way, in his time. And so that's what we need to remember. So when we're delighting the Lord, he reassures us. He says, don't flinch, stay committed. (laughs) Don't flinch, stay committed. Okay, I need to finish. So I'm going to finish up with verse 7 which is for me one of my most difficult ones of these. He says in verse 7, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Be still and wait patiently. I did a study. It was so convicting. It's really hard for me because I'm not super patient. I'm not uh, on the word wait in the Bible and the phrase wait on God or wait on the Lord. Do you know God's not in a hurry about a lot of things? He really isn't. At our, uh, at our weekly staff meeting on Wednesdays, we take some time and we usually talk about scripture and we talk about some things. This past Wednesday, we talked about the fruit of the spirit. And I, I tend to kind of facilitate that time. And I said, to our staff, I said, I'm going to, we'll talk about the nine fruit of the spirit. I want you in your mind to pick out the one that you struggle with the most. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Uh, how about all of them? <laughs> yeah, because they are the fruit of the spirit, not the fruit of my discipline, not the fruit of my strong will. They're the fruit of the spirit. But I was the quick to admit patience. And it's not so much that I struggle with patience with people. It's I struggle with patience with often the process of life. Because I like things to hurry up, hurry up. I can't, I can't imagine how many times I've said that in my mind. Hurry up, hurry up. Come on, come on, come on. Let's go, let's go, let's go. I tend to be that way. I tend many mornings to be a man on a mission. Some of you can relate to being a person on a mission. So much to do, so much that has to get done. And so for a while, I used to think that God made me wait to kind of frustrate me, but I don't think he does that. I mean, I think he, it does. I think he wants us to grow in patience, and often we grow when we um, feel frustrated. But here's what I think about why we have to often wait so much. I'm going to go ahead and read what I wrote because I think this is very helpful to me. I think God makes us patiently wait on him Because he is perfect in his plan. He is perfect in his purpose. He is perfect in his knowledge. And it is his nature to work all things together for good. And sometimes that takes time. Sometimes that just doesn't happen quickly. Right? And so what helps me to be growing in waiting on the Lord in patience is to entrust my day, my week, 
my plan, my to-do list to his sovereign, all-knowing, perfect plan and purposes. And that is hard. That is hard. But I believe that that's what he's calling us to do. And what I have found in my life is as I delight in him, and I remember through praising him that he is the all-knowing one. He is the sovereign one. He is the perfect one. He is the loving father. Then it's easier to trust him to wait. So when we delight in the Lord, he sustains us and he says, don't flee. <laughs> don't abort the mission. Don't bail out. Keep doing what I've called you to do. Be faithful, be faithful, be faithful. Well, there's a summary thought that I had uh, just thinking about this as I wrap up here. And, you know, it's been so good for me to study this verse, especially verse four, but this whole passage about delighting in him and just really asking myself, Is that where I find my great joy? My supreme or extreme satisfaction is in my relationship with Christ. And the only way that I do that somewhat consistently is when I focus on how great he is. I'm reminded through his word, through the Psalms very much, to just praise him and praise him and praise him for who he is. And then also to be filled with gratitude, to be filled with thanksgiving, to verbalize that to him because he is the giver of all good gifts. Amen. He is. And anything you and I receive is because of his grace and his love for us. So here's my goal to continually be celebrating his greatness and his glory. Make that daily in my life. And I just pray my brothers and sisters, you will make that daily in your life. I'm hoping you will fall in love with the Psalms, but more in the primary character of the Psalms. And that's God. And you will see what an amazing God he is. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you that you've called us to delight ourselves in you. Lord, we we confess that there are so many things in this life that we get excited about, that make our heart race, that get us emotionally exuberant. And it's so often things that are very temporal, things that are very of this world. And they can be taken away. And someday it'll all be burned up. And yet you need to be our focus. You need to be our greatest joy. So thank you for that reminder to me. Thank you for that reminder to our church family. Thank you for the way that you align our desires with yours as we delight in you. May that just be more and more our daily experience. And I just am so grateful, Father, 
that you've given us this precious, incredible book called the Word of God to help us know how to tap in and to experience delight in the Creator God. It's mind-blowing to us, yet we thank you. That is true. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.